from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Jonathan Small, and I am editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. With me today on the show is Vince Sanders, who is the founder of CBD American Shaman, which is one of the largest CBD retailers in the United States with 365 locations. That's a lot of locations. Vince launched the chain in 2014 in Kansas City, Missouri. And since then, he has built CBD American Shaman into a team of doctors and chemists, lawyers and advocates. Vince pioneered the use of nanotechnology in the hemp industry to enhance the plant's health supporting effects and to increase the bioavailability of CBD. And he's going to join us to talk about CBD American Shaman and getting into the franchising business and all things CBD. So Vince, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So give us the backstory of how you got into the CBD business in general, because I know it's, it's, it was a personal story for you, right? Yeah, it was. Um, interesting, really, because, you know, it, it, everybody is familiar with marijuana and, you know, the, the effects and, and what it does and maybe the overstretched ideas of what it can do medicinally or, you know, that type of thing. And I had an uncle that was very close to me, more like an older brother that was diagnosed with four stage lung cancer. And when they diagnosed him, they said, hey, you know, we have to be perfectly honest with you. We're going to do everything humanly possible. But once lung cancer hits fourth stage, it, it's 90% of the people are gone within six months. It, it's just extremely aggressive. And maybe it'll be lucky enough to be one of the 10% that doesn't die in six months, but you kind of need to prepare. So that was not something that I, I like to hear when, when that happened. And I was just set that this is BS. There's something out there. It's not approved by the FDA, but it exists. Uh, I'm going to find it in, in Switzerland or Mexico City or whatever this. And it didn't have to be a cure. You know, in my mind, it's like, hey, if it extends his life two or three years, who knows what breakthroughs come in that amount of time. You know, when you're looking at six months, it's that's not a lot. So I just literally glued myself to Google, doing every kind of search, following every thread, digging around. I'd always go with him to, when he went for chemo and radiation. I'd try and talk to the oncologist and just pick their brains and come up with something. But he, within even the first 30 days, you know, they were hitting me with chemo and radiation immediately very hard. He was disappearing before my eyes. And you know, I just was desperate. And, and I'm just constantly suffering. You know, it, what's amazing, I don't know if anybody's ever Googled anything about cancer and you know, cannabis and specifically marijuana will come up left or off. And, you know, and in my mind, like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, pot cures cancer. But, you know what I mean? I'm just like, look, I'm, I'm trying to save him, you know, and this I'm sure will help with chemo and, and make him feel better and his appetite and that type of thing. But I'm looking for something to stop the cancer and then sort of at least slow the growth. And out of desperation, honestly, I, I finally started reading the cannabis. I mean, it truly. And then as I started getting in there, I started hearing about CBD. I've never heard of CBD, very familiar with THC, but. CBD. And I'm like, oh, well, and then, then I start reading white papers from PubMed and from all around the world, specific for brain and lung and breast cancer, some amazing results. I'm like, wow, this is legit. These are, are real researchers. And so that was it. It was, a, a, I was like, okay, well, this, I'm, I have to try. So then there was no CBD, right? I mean, we're talking 2012. There, there was no CBD to get anywhere. Well, anybody maybe knows on podcast or doesn't know, we're in Kansas City. 
And we have a lot of quote ditch weed around here that grows wild from you know when they they grew it as a crop. It's very abundant. So, but this was like winter, and so you know it's like dang, you know, if this was a few months earlier, I could have driven out in the country and found it and, and just cut it. So I literally start asking anyone I know, like, look, I need quote ditch weed, and that, not marijuana. I need ditch weed, right? And everybody's like. The hell do you want ditch weed for? <laughs> like what? Why? Do you Wait, want what is ditch weed? I don't even know if I know what ditch weed is. So ditch weed, basically, where you find it is along ditches and roads. You know these ravines where the seeds kind of propagate, and as they mature, the seeds just refall. And a lot of it's along railroad tracks and and roads where. And these are. This is not cannabis. Well, it's cannabis. It's hemp. Uh huh. It's hemp, right? But not marijuana. Right now, yeah. marijuana. Got Mar- it. And it grows naturally. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we... That's awesome. Yeah. Well, they grew a lot of hemp for fiber and seed up until it was banned. It, you know, in the Midwest, there was a lot of hemp farm here. It's very easy. Even to this day, it's very fun, you know, easy to find. It's a hardy plant. It, it's, it's wonderful. So, but, you know, once I tell people why I wanted it, they they'd kind of look at me weird. But I truly didn't think about I'd ever get any, right? I'm like, this probably won't happen. But within a few weeks, I actually, a lot of people came up with stuff. It's like, hey, here's this. <laughs> so we literally just made a crude ethanol extract. So I literally just, you're talking about pulverizing it in a food processor and grain alcohol, and then taking that, removing the plant material and putting it on a rice cooker and evaporating off the oil. I mean, the alcohol, what you have left is an oil. You just kind of scrape it up with the credit card. While it's warm, it's viscous. You can pull it into a syringe. So that's what I did. I mean, we had, I mean, no testing, no, you know, I had no idea what kind of cannabinoid profile or anything was in there. But I knew from research that CBD was very high in hemp. It, it had more CBD than THC, but THC was there as well. So there were some psychoactive qualities once you extracted it like that, which he, he adjusted to over a few weeks. But so he would literally carry them in his pockets and he would, we had no idea how to dose it because we didn't know it was there. And he would just, shoot it in his mouth throughout the day and let it let this oil dissolve in his mouth tasted terrible but he got used to it fairly quick and got to where he was doing it all constantly at the time he was doing full body scans once a month to see if these tumors were shrink because they were throughout his body you know, were they shrinking were they growing were they static and they had continued to grow and the first roughly 30 days that he'd been taking the hemp extract they're like what well, first time they're like hey we got great news that there was no tumor growth or, you know, and you're like, we, you know, some combination of, of the, of what we're giving you, it must be working. And we didn't tell them about the, our little hip extract, but great news either way, whatever was causing it. Second month he went in and there was a major reduction in the cancer cells. And we're like, Oh my, you know, again, they're like, Hey, this is a near miracle stuff. You might, you know, this keeps up. You could be a study 90 days in it's gone from his brain, his bones, Every all the majority of the tumors are gone as long as there's one tumor that's down to eight or nine millimeters. I mean, we're we're winning, right? I mean, he's, he looks. I mean, he looks like he's healthy comparatively speaking to where he had been. And he, we for months he he continued basically in complete remission. And then you know, but he continued everything they were doing. I mean, he was on all the chemo and things. So unfortunately. That had taken away his uh, immune system. And a few days after he went to the hospital for a treatment, 
the very next day, he had a lot of blisters on his arm, just tiny blisters. And he called the doctor and described him. And he said, hey, come right in. That kind of sounds like a staph infection or something. As soon as he went to the hospital, that is what it was. So they, they put him on uh, intravenous IV of, of antibiotics. And uh, But long story short, I guess, is that he ended up dying in less than two weeks of sepsis. So uh, it was, yeah, it was terrible, you know, to have, to have won the, the, or at least we thought we had won the, the cancer battle, but, and then end up going like that it was almost worse. But anyhow, that's, that's how it all started. And, and I was a hundred percent convinced. I was completely, you know, I was convinced that, well, if the majority of these people are dying within six months and we're a year in and he's basically without cancer, what do we do different than the other people? It has to be this extract. So after he died, I honestly kind of redoubled my efforts. I was like, well, there's, and now I'm not under the gun. I've got, you know, all the time in the world. So I just started really deep dive research and, and figuring out how to, to really extract it. And, and then in 2014, you had the initial hemp back start to get passed in the U.S. or you could actually late 14 or 15 where you could start getting hemp from the U.S. and do more with it and legally. Right. I mean, it really wasn't legal before. So that's really it. I don't know if it's been into this or not, but I had an, at the time, I had an e liquids company and I had a booth every year at the ASD show in Vegas. And it was March 1st of 15. So early February, as we're aggressively preparing for that show, because it's a large show, it takes a lot of planning. I thought, you know, I should introduce the CBD product there. This is an opportunity to be in front of a lot of people. I should, you know, maybe this is a way to get it out there. And, you know, it just kind of hit me and I thought, well, I'll just do it with the e-liquids or a tincture and just put under the same name. And there was just something that just intuitively didn't feel right. It was like, you know, that isn't what this is. This is about health and wellness. It's not, it is, this just isn't it, right? It just isn't, doesn't feel right. And, you know, we're probably second week of, of February at this point. And I call my graphic artist, Donna, who I've been working with for years. I'm like, hey, I've got this I, you know, idea. CBD products. She's like, of course, essentially like a torch from cannabis. She's like, well, is it legal? And I'm like, it's legal. You know, so she's like, well, it, you're wanting to do it when? March 1st? Like, you better come over here. So I, I shoot over. We sit down. We start the conversation just like you and I are having. And she's like, well, what does it look? What does it feel like? What, you know, and, and I'm like, you know, it's natural. It's wood. It's stone. It's leather. I mean, just these ideas, right? Just throwing this stuff out because it's organic. And then she asked the, the question that, you know, is to this day, you're like, wow, that obviously it worked, but was it the best name? But she's like, well, what are you going to, what's the name? And I'm like, you know, Donna, although I've been doing this for years, I never really officially thought of it as a business. And I go, I don't know. I go, the only thing that kind of comes more organic is like medicine, man. But if this was to work, the FDA would probably, you know, be all over us for that word medicine. And she just goes, well, what else is a, right? You know, and, and she's like, well, what else is, is a medicine, man? I'm like, well, what else is a medicine? We're literally just sitting across from each other. I'm like, what is a medicine? Another word for medicine. Right, exactly. And I go, a shaman. And she goes, I love shaman. I love that. And then, you know, at the time, you know, our e-liquids were our big deals. We were made in America, the CGMP facility, you know, proudly made in America. And she was, well, American shaman, right? Proudly made in America. Kind of a play. I'm like, well, yeah. But then I'm like, well, who's going to know what American shaman is? So that's when I threw the CBD in front of it. To at least, not that anybody even knew what CBD was, but that's how it, kind of the genesis story of how it all came to be and the, the look and feel of our all of our packaging and marketing materials not to this day or 90 plus percent what we came up with in that few hour meeting yeah well before we get into the origin or the the, the what happens next with with cb with american shaman and your brand and franchising the the stories i'd love to talk a little bit more because you have kind of a complicated relationship with 
with the marijuana plant, right? I mean, you're <laughs> talk to us a little bit about this is the legal business, but you know, at one point in your life, you got involved in illegal marijuana. Do you mind talking to us a little bit about that and what you learned from those days? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, on the surface, you would think, well, there was probably a lot of overlay, but you know, when you're, I, I was a for you know those who don't know, I was a convicted felon for conspiracy to distribute in excess of one ton of marijuana was my official charge. So, so for about thirteen years, per the local FBI, I was the largest marijuana smuggler in the Midwest. Quite a distinction. Yeah, right. Oh, woo. <laughs> so to quote them, but anyhow, that you know, we I had I did we smuggled many many thousands of pounds of marijuana from Mexico to the U.S. and distributed it. I did, you know, was convicted or I pled guilty, served time. I was in Leavenworth, uh, had a large forfeiture and, and kind of getting through that. That was in 2000. So when all this happened in 2012, there was a certain degree of the red flags went up. Correct. Correct. But I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this again. No, right. Exactly. But I'm like, you know what? This nobody's. I'm not going to get in trouble for this. Who's going to know? I'm not selling it. I'm making it for my uncle. I'm right. I mean, it, but then as I continued to do it, and then we decided to become a company, CBD to a certain extent was still somewhat of a gray area. And I went to probably the best known criminal attorney here in Kansas City. At the time, I said, look, here's everything I know. I believe this is legal, but maybe I just wanted to believe it's legal. Can you give me an opinion letter of, You know, that is it legal? And if so, how do we have to do it? How do we have to manage it? So we stay on the right side of the wall really looking to repeat the past performance, so to speak. So he took several weeks investigating it. And this is after the fact of uh, actually going public with it and doing the show that we had just talked about. So we were actually in the business. So it was kind of a little bit delayed, I guess. Probably should have done that ahead of time. But And he said, yes, it is legal so long as it's coming you know, from licensed growers and it's processed in a, a state. And then there were still gray areas as far as state to state. But since it was federally legal, we had interstate commerce on our side. And there weren't states really at that time that were specifically CBD called out as being illegal. So there's a lot of gray space there. But obviously, I'm somewhat of a risk taker. Yeah, that, that goes out saying. <laughs> You're right. So I, I was like, well, let, let's do it. And we did. And we have battled a lot of states, not in the last year or two, I guess. But early on, we, we had uh, a lot of battles with attorney generals in multiple states and some smaller local county things and because we are a nationwide company but we whenever you feel like you're on the right path it, we literally won every time was the idea of bringing cbd to their to their states that was the, that was the issue correct we'll be right back but first a message from our sponsor belay so what would you do with an extra 15 hours every week to get stuff done. Well, that's where Belay comes into play. Belay is an innovative staffing solution which offers virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists for growing organizations. Man, I could use Belay. You can reclaim 15 hours every week by just delegating five tasks. Like for example, somebody answer your emails, somebody do scheduling, book your travel, plan meetings, do expense reporting. Belay does all of that stuff for you. They have successfully matched thousands of businesses with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. To work with Belay to help you accomplish more and juggle a lot less, go to belaysolutions.com backslash green. That's 
belaysolutions.com backslash green today. Don't delay. So how did you transform, you know, you ha- you came up with this CBD American Shaman brand, but how did it then, did you have this idea, I want to get into actually opening up brick and mortars and franchises and then franchising it? Can you tell me a little bit about how that happened? I can. So that's kind of a little bit of a lengthy story too. You know, we were, our idea, you know, early on was like, we thought, well, chiropractors, naturopaths, vitamin stores, these should be natural places for this product. But there was such a wall, that such a barrier that, you know, you're, we made lots of calls, but we weren't getting a whole lot of uh, product placed. And, and we were just continuing to kind of brainstorm what everybody uh, that worked here believed in it because we, we, everybody was using it and, and, and saw the results. But we were just like, well, how do we get this product to people? And the um, guy who's still here goes, you know what? How about we take a different tech? How about head shops? These are people that understand cannabis. Maybe, you know, so that's what we did. We went to head shops. We explained it to them. They readily let us in. The biggest thing is, you know, we're really an education company. We we understand how this product works, why it works, the right dosage. And, and we knew to sell it, you had to explain that to an average consumer. It's not snake oil. Yeah, it does all these things, but here's why. So we spent time in, in these these head shops educating everyone that worked there and oftentimes staying around in person for a week or two as much as we could inside the store. Well, it worked incredibly well. I mean, it those were really our first CBD stores, if you really get down to it. And watching that success, a friend of mine was like, I'm going to open a CBD store. And I'm like, I don't think it'll work. These Yes, these guys are doing great, but here's why. They already have a large cannabis clientele. They're okay with it. I don't think it'll work. And and he just kind of kept pestering me about it. And I kept, you know, just kind of poo-pooing. I did, you know, I don't want somebody signing a multi-year lease, investing a bunch of money in something that I don't think will work. And I generally didn't think it would work. So he persisted. And one day he literally picked up the phone, like, now well, here we go again. You know, I see my caller ID. And he just goes, Look, man, I'm doing the CBD store thing. You doing it with me or not? He goes, if not, I'm doing it on my own. So I was like, all right, all right, I'll let me in. You know, I'll, I'll do everything we can. So that store was located in here in an area of Kent City that's in our arts district. And we had a first Friday of each month, you have a, you know, a large area where you tour galleries, you have open carry liquor and, you know, street performers. It's a very festive environment. A lot of people attend it. So I thought, you know, gosh, that first Friday's is a perfect opportunity for us to get in front of people. So we just had an open bar inside the store and there were signs in the door standing open and hundreds of people poured in. While they were standing in line for the bar, we would literally ask you, so what do you know about CBD? Of course, everybody's blank. And we would start to educate them. Well, within 90 days, the store was very successful. But that was kind of a unique environment. Not kind of hard to reproduce that. That's Those are, peop- those are the kind of people that, that, that want to, that will experiment with CBD. And it's a lot of foot traffic. Absolutely. So I don't know, six months later, some customers of his who had complete I could go into that, but I don't want to be too lengthy here. They called and wanted to do a store as well. So you just realized that there's a thirst for it. I did. But when I really realized it was the the third store that opened, that just opened in a suburban strip mall, nothing special, and it was successful. At that time, I realized it just really clicked because the second store was kind of a unique area as well and kind of an upper end 
niche, you know, small shop boutique type area. So I thought, well, this this works because of this unique location. But the third spot was nothing like that. It was, you know. And by that time, had you been franchising or were those still under your own? No, those were just, yeah, those were just. So the third store opened was successful. And that was, you know, early 17 somewhere. At that point, I'm like, you know, this is this is a business model. This works. And that's when we went down the path of franchising. Took about a year to put that together, the franchise system. In the meantime, though, we kind of had an explosion throughout 17 and early 18. We actually began franchising April 1st of 2018. We probably had 50 stores open before we were a franchise, though. And then once we were a franchise, majority of those converted over. Some people didn't like the idea of converting over. So there's a few outliers out there that did not. Interestingly enough, that third store that really worked that showed me that, hey, this was a business model, didn't sign up as a franchise. Yeah. Can you explain to me that how franchises work or to our audience, how franchises work? Um, kind of a simple, I know it's rather complicated, but how does it work? Like if, if I were just somebody that was interested in getting into the CBD business, why would I choose to franchise and, and what, what do you offer? So what we offer is a lot. Business-wise, we're going to help vet the location. We're going to the build out, the signage, and probably more importantly than anything is the training and the legal backing that we offer, especially prior to now. But it, it, to a certain degree with the FDA and, and things still looming up there, you still need a lot of that legal support. You know, we, we expect that with COVID 2020 kind of got went out the window, we're hoping the FDA comes out with some rules and regulations by the end of 21. And a lot of those things that we anticipate, we're actually doing studies and things on now. So that when when those rules and regulations do come out, we already have it in place. One of the biggest things uh, the FDA has talked about is liver function studies. And that, that really comes from crazy doses administered to mice. So we're in the middle of a liver function study right now that should finish up early March. And right now the results are beautiful. So that is, it was a, a big human trial, over 800 participants. So you, you did that, you've conducted this study or you've got, you're on sign, that's great. And it's showing that the effects on the liver are not as detrimental as the FDA is, is saying in their studies on humans. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's great. So, you, so you've been doing your own independent research. But to get back to the franchising, so you offer people, you kind of take care of the vetting, the you're obviously supplying education the product is the product all made kind of seat to sale within your organization or do you it it is uh there are a few things edible products that are the only thing at this point that we don't make in-house honestly that's mostly at this point in time because we've kind of outgrown our facility and we don't have the room for it so it's easier if we're going to make gummies and things we we send our oil or water soluble you know nano products to a gummy manufacturer and have them make them so the gummy is ours, the CBD contents are ours. Same thing with our dog treats and, and a couple of other edible type products. But every, every other product is made right here. And we control seed to sale, you know, from the farmer to the extraction to the manufacturing of all the products. Time something goes in a bottle, we've probably tested what's in there a dozen times. You know, we do batch testing constantly. Were you the first CBD franchise company in, in America or... Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And what is your point? So now there's been some others that have popped up. What is your pitch as to why, how you're different than those guys? Well, the, the, the major, it's interesting is all those guys originally were with us. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. You train them. And yeah, they... <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So the big difference is 
the science, the seed to sale, the full control of the product, the nanotechnology that makes it much faster acting and more bioavailable, the training with the physicians and the chemists on staff, the education that you get is so much more in depth in the marketing and, and simply knowing that you have a product that's second to none. Those are the big differences that everybody else that is doing it does not manufacture their product. It's white label. They just go to a, a CBD company and have basic products made like tinctures and body oils and, and things like that. But we're the only company that manufactures all of our products. I'm interested. So given your background prior to getting into CBD and your time that you had to spend for for the smuggling, have you ever considered getting into the legal a marijuana business, cannabis business? I know Missouri is, is not a legal state, but for some of the legal states. Correct. And we are beginning to work that way. We do have a dispensary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're building a grow and manufacturing facility as we speak. They should be open by early summer. We actually have a, a smaller grow right now, but this will be a much larger facility. We do have medical in Missouri. I have negotiated the purchase of a manufacturing license. Missouri has been a, a real messed up state as far as the rollout for the medical. We've, we've cleared all the hurdles. The, the purchase is okay, but moving the pin, it was approved for the eastern side of the state. To get it moved to here, we still have not heard back. I expect them to, but who knows at this point. So if that happens, then we'll be manufacturing THC products in Missouri as well. And given your what happened to you, how do you feel about the criminal convictions? You know, there's a lot of talk now, especially new administration coming in, about reducing those criminal convictions, especially for minor crimes. Are you pretty bullish about, do you think it's sort of ridiculous, the laws that we have in place right now for cannabis or what's your stance? Of course. On that? Of yeah, course. You I mean, obvi- yeah. obviously I never, <laughs> I'm a real ethical, moral person. I, I've, I would have sold marijuana if I thought there was a problem with it. Yeah. I mean, I, right, I mean, it's ridiculous. The idea of marijuana being illegal and alcohol and tobacco being legal is absurd to say the least. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very pro-cannabis in all aspects. It, it's it's amazing, so crazy that to end up here in the, the CBD space. Right, sort of adjacent to, yeah. but it's Completely adjacent, but but completely excellent. One had absolutely nothing to do with the other, right? Yeah, but it's yeah. Just, it just happened, sort of a coincidence. Total coincidence, right? But you just start to figure out, you know, what, what is my uh, relationship with this plant? Why, you know, how do I keep ending up here? Right, it's like that. They keep pulling me back. <laughs> it's like, that. yeah, right. <laughs> Every time I try to get out of the industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, this is really interesting. What advice do you give to entrepreneurs looking to get into space? You know, obviously you've been very successful in your ventures. What advice did you get when you were coming up that you've, that's, or that you've come up with yourself that's meant a lot to you as an entrepreneur? Wow. I am very fortunate. Come from very entrepreneurial families on both sides, you know, my mom and dad. So I, by osmosis, picked up a lot of entrepreneurial things just growing up. I think the biggest thing that that most people miss is that you need to really understand your product and your business before you get out there. So many people just rush in half-docked with a dream. I've got a dream, so it'll work. Yeah, it, not so much. If you don't really have a deep understanding and are grounded in, I, I don't care what you're doing, right? I mean, if selling cars or building homes or selling CBD, you have to have a a deep understanding of that. And that usually takes years to acquire that type of knowledge, right? You know, the 10,000 hour rule, right? You've got to be an expert to even have a hope. The other thing I think I see a lot is people try to do too much. Stay focused. You know, you, this was actually a little bit of wisdom. My grandfather said, you know, it was 
a little kid that was talking about all these different things. He goes, it's interesting because he came from you know, like Kentucky as an old tobacco farmer. So he still had that kind of wit, you know what I mean? He goes, son, let me tell you something. If you chase too many rabbits, you don't catch any of them. And that really applies. It really does. Because you see these people and they see all this opportunity and they just want to chase everything. Right. Find your lane. Yeah. Find your lane and stay in it and be at the absolute best you can be right there. You know, be an expert in your space. Don't chase all the, the sparkly things. This has been really interesting. Thank you so much, Vince, for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Where do you see just a future? I would imagine that 2020 was, as you mentioned earlier, was was rough on your business because it's a brick and mortar. At least that part of your business is. Did you have to see a lot of the chains close? Are we able to survive some of this? How did, did you use e-commerce? Like, how did you guys uh, pivot? We did. Yeah. So overall, you know, we compared to most businesses, we've done very well. I mean, we have survived. We are definitely off. I mean, bricks and mortar, and we have lost a few stores. But the thing is, is, you know, when we were, we were sitting there in April, I looking at it, how long it was going to last and how, how widespread it was and, and people being quarantined. I was like, if we're still, you know, if we have half these stores in a year, we'll be lucky. I mean, I just out loud said, and I really, truly felt that way. The idea that less than 10% of them have, you know, probably less than 5% have actually had to close. I, I, I feel incredibly blessed and fortunate that we've been in that position. We did a lot of fighting to stay there, lots of specials and sales and curbside and home delivery. And we've made a lot of hand sanitizer, which helped make us an essential business in a lot of areas so they were able to stay open. We were very aggressive and light on our feet. And we were constantly just problem solving. How do we keep these doors open? And nothing's perfect, but we made a lot more good decisions than bad. And had we not been so aggressive at the beginning, I, I think that initial, my gosh, half these stores will be gone by the end of the year, probably would have been true. Right. Did you have to shift to some e-commerce as well? Because obviously that would, I would imagine would be a big competitor for you because a lot of CBD people get online. Correct. Well, we do online. So we do have an online presence and we certainly saw online sales increase. The cool thing about the franchise model is when you have a store customer, if you have their data, it doesn't matter if they go online or not, you make, you get paid for it. So if I come to your store and I'm your customer and it's like, hey, I'm quarantined, I need my CBD and I go on online and order, you still get paid. I think that's another thing that certainly helped the store stay afloat because they did have some revenue from that. What is the cut, the, the sort of split? I mean, is it different for each franchise or like in terms of how much goes back to the mothership and how much the franchisee gets to? Of the sales. So this is really interesting. Early on, we were really scared of people going from store to online and and migrating in mass. But then we kind of got our head around it. We're like, well, I guess worst case scenario is if you did this for five years and you built up a large customer base, but nobody was coming in and you said, hey, I'm going to close the store. Well, now you've got mailbox money, right? You've got the same money coming in without working for it. And that's kind of how we got our head around it. But what we've seen is if you do a good job running your store and you build a relationship with the person, you become their CBD expert. They don't go online. And what is even more amazing is back setup is our top performing stores. If you look at a radius around them, that's amazing. Literally no business comes online. They all go to that store. 
that is their like your favorite bar or whatever. You're you're going in there. That's your go-to place. You don't you'll you'll make the time to stop in there and, and get your product. You don't go online. But as a nationwide company, obviously we don't have stores in every city or every state. So there there is a percentage of that business that, that certainly comes from areas like where you are in California. Franchise laws there are very difficult. It will probably next year or rather this year, no one, I guess, start doing franchising in California. But right now the sales coming out of California are predominantly online. What percentage of sales go to the uh, person owning the franchise and then what percentage go back? To, is it like a certain percent that goes back to the company? Like how to franchise? How does that work with franchise? Yeah, basically we, we take the same cost that you would pay for your product anyway, take the shipping fee out of it, and then you get the balance. Okay. And then I even in, what about even sales within the brick and mortar? How does that work? So within the brick and mortar or like total sales? Well, oh, 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 I see what you're saying. It kind of depends, but you roughly about 60% is is your margin. So $100 sale, you keep about $60. Well, this is really interesting. If people want to franchise, if they're interested in getting a business, do you have, is there a certain, what would you tell them before you make, take the plunge? What advice would you give to them about this business? And it's not for everybody, obviously. So what, what, who is the kind of person that you think would be the ideal candidate for this? So don't be bedazzled by the fact that it's cannabis. Some of the people that have had the hardest times, I think, were, my God, it's cannabis. It's money's going to pour in the door. All I got to do is that green rush mentality. If, if you think of it as a business and you have good people skills and you enjoy dealing with the public, that's the biggest hurdle. And honestly, the people who do the best are, are single store operators or maybe a couple that runs a couple stores. I'm not saying there aren't some people out there that are talented enough or have enough experience that they can't run 10 stores. By and large, this is an owner-operator business. If you want success, be prepared to work and hustle and treat it like you would any other business if you expect it to be successful. Just because you're selling CBD does not mean you're going to get rich. All right. Well, it's Vince. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com. Check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Write About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.